The following message is by Brother Doug Birch, Associate Pastor at North Bryant Baptist Church. For more information on what we believe and for many other helpful Bible lessons, we encourage you to visit our website at northbryantbaptist.org. That is northbryantbaptist.org. Take your Bibles and turn to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. The church at Corinth was a, a rather interesting group. I've heard it uh, said, joked, really, uh, how that there were so many things wrong with the church at Corinth, we're not sure if we today would have exchanged a letter with them, uh, being in the state that they were. It is a pretty corrective letter. Uh, interesting how these passages uh, come to us. I remember one of the times that I preached from this message, and I guess I emphasized too much the word foolishness because I had a church member after church ask me, say, well, I didn't think God was foolish at all. And so I said, well, that's not really what my point was. You know, that's not really what the Scripture means. But maybe I can do a little bit better at explaining it this time. First Corinthians chapter 1, we're going to begin in verse 17, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? And where is the disputer of this world? Hath, God, uh, hath, hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block and unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them that are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. When Paul comes to this point, it almost looks as though he's breaking his... Uh, his course, he begins in this chapter talking about the division that is apparent in the church at Corinth. Paul had been there uh, for about a year and a half. He left, and then a little bit later, Apollos came, served there for a time, and the Scripture tells us that Apollos was a very eloquent speaker. Then he says in verse 12 of chapter 1, he says, This I say that every one of you says, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. He says, Is Christ divided? What had happened there is something that I fear happens a lot. It's, it's a very natural thing uh, for us to have an attachment to somebody that we think is a good speaker or somebody that we believe is, uh, uh, is, is a good orator of the Word, to, to somebody that can explain the Scripture. I have 
my favorite preachers. Uh, there are those that a little bit more difficult to listen to, not because I don't like them, but sometimes some people can hold your attention a little bit better. That's, that's just a human emotion. That's a human thing. But what we have to be careful about is that we don't allow those differences, because no man is the same. we got to be careful that we don't allow those differences to cause us to think and to cause us to behave in such a way that, well, I was saved under the preaching of brother so-and-so. Never been a preacher like that, never will be, you know, or, or whatever. We've got to be really careful because what was happening in Corinth is they were going so overboard into their um, adoration for these men that they literally began dividing themselves in these factions, in these groups, to which Paul addresses this and says, Is Christ divided? You know, we're supposed to be on the same side. Why is it that people are saying, Well, I, I am of Paul, and in others, I am of Apollos. Now, Cephas is a re- reference to Peter. We don't know if he was ever there, but uh, perhaps some people uh, came to Corinth who had been under his teaching, whatever the case. And then some of them uh, said as though to outdo the rest of them, well, I am of Christ. And Paul, again, it seems as though he is breaking that point and starts talking about something different in, in contrasting the wisdom of men and the foolishness of God, but he's not. Because that is exactly what is part of the reason that's leading them to these divisions. What is it that attracts us to, to different men, to different preaching? A lot of times it is just that, that, well, this one just, just preaches it in a different way. Or he says it in a way that, that I can understand. And again, there's nothing wrong with having an admiration to somebody who can expound the word of God. There's nothing wrong with that. But Corinth, again, had gone so far as to to divide themselves and to claim, well, I am of this person, I am of that person. So what Paul was saying is what you're doing is centering in more on the wisdom of men instead of the wisdom of God, the power of the cross. And that's what he's saying. Jump to chapter 2, verse 1. He says, And I, brethren... When I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Now let's think about the crucifixion. The crucifixion was something that the Romans did. The Romans would crucify somebody who was the lowest of the low. Their, their capital punishment in that mode was not something uh, that was a death penalty uh, on somebody that was a, a prized citizen, somebody that was an example. This was a criminal, a low criminal. And so for Jesus to be crucified, this made the, the sting that much more, which also helps us to understand that the Scripture, when it says, cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. And so to preach Christ crucified... When, when you think of it from the standpoint of the way a man would receive it, that doesn't seem very wise. You mean I, I need to ally myself with somebody who was crucified on a cross? That didn't make any sense, especially um, to the Jews. It was a stumbling block, and that's what he said here. 
Why, why do we want a, a Savior, a Messiah, a Christ, who was crucified? Now, he said again, going back to uh, the first part of the chapter, when he said, Is Christ divided? Verse 13, Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? He said, and he names a few people, I've baptized a few people in that church, but that's not what Christ sent me for. Now that may be an odd statement, but what he's talking about is, it's not, it's not a numbers game, it's not somebody that I can say, well I baptized this person and that person and that person over there. Not that baptism is unimportant, but crucifixion and preaching the cross is why Paul says he was sent. It was so that people might stand in the power of God and not in the wisdom of men. So he says, Christ didn't send me to baptize. What Christ sent me to do was to preach the gospel, but not with wisdom of words. Why? Because he says the cross of Christ should then become void. If Paul was to uh, practice his speech to the point that it was perfect, that, that every word that he said was something that was rehearsed to the standpoint that uh, there was no hesitation at all. Everything flowed very well. He said, then I'm focusing on the wisdom of words. Then the cross of Christ becomes powerless. It becomes of none effect because you're not thinking about the cross. He says, the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. The word foolishness there and all throughout this passage comes from a word that is familiar to us. Our word moron comes from this Greek word that's been translated foolishness. And that's what they're saying. The preaching of the cross is to those that perish, moronic. Doesn't make any sense. Why would you hope to gather a congregation of people and have them uh, glory in somebody who had been crucified? He said to those that perish, they perish because it's foolish to them. Now why then, if that's the case, why then doesn't God cause our salvation to happen another way? Or why didn't He? Because then it would be the wisdom of men. To go to the cross is to be forced to look at our own sinfulness. Because what happened? Jesus was crucified on a cross, not because of His own sins, He had none. But He was crucified on a cross to pay the debt that we owed. And so that when we look at the cross and see a Savior, our Deliverer, who is dying, He's dying for me. He's paying for my sin. And so when I look at the cross, I'm forced to decide, do I agree with what He's doing? Do I confess that I am a sinner and that when He died on the cross, He died for my sins? So I'm forced, not in the wisdom of men, to just follow somebody who holds my attention, but I'm forced to think about my own sin. And so that's why Paul says, Unto us that are saved, it is the power of God. The cross is not something to us that, that is foolishness. The power of God's salvation comes to us through the cross. Now, I don't want to say that it's an ornamental thing. You know, we shouldn't think of it as, as uh, you know, just a good luck charm, you know, uh, uh, something that... Um, we, we wear around our neck. Now, I'm not saying don't take your necklace off and put it aside. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying don't think of it as just something to wear. 
The cross is something that causes us to come face to face with our own sinfulness and to deal with it. We must admit that we are sinners. We must admit that Jesus Christ died on that cross, was crucified for our sins. And so that when we have faith in what he did on our behalf, then it becomes powerful, has the ability to save us. He brings up an illustration in verse 19, a quote from the book of Isaiah. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. I will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Now that is a quote from the 29th chapter of Isaiah, wherein this, this case here, um, this was a time when the people of God were seeking uh, help from, uh, from the Egyptians. And in Isaiah chapter 29, around that verse, in verse, we're going to look at verse 14. You don't have to turn there, but you can just listen. Isaiah chapter 29 verse 14. Therefore, behold, I will proceed to do a marvelous work among the people, even a marvelous work and a, and a wonder. For the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the understanding of their prudent men shall be hid. Woe unto them that seek deep to hide their counsel from the Lord, and their works are in the dark. And they say, Who sees us, and who knows us? Surely your turning of the things upside down shall be esteemed as a potter's clay. For shall the work say of, uh, shall the work say of him that made it, He's made me not? Or shall the thing framed say of him that framed it, he has, not, uh, he has had no understanding? Now here's what's happening. In that time, the nation of Israel is being besieged by uh, the Syrian army. And they're coming against them, and they're afraid. And so they're going to Egypt. They're actually entering into secret talks. That's what the, the phrase uh, woe to them that seek deep to hide their counsel from the Lord. They're entering in with them secretly to get help from them from the advancing army. And so God is saying, I don't need that. I don't need Egypt. I don't need for you to sit over there and strategize and see how you're going to be able to defeat this coming army. I don't have to have Egypt to help you. And then he uses another quote. Same, uh, same prophet, back in, uh, back in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse, um, verse uh, 20. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? Now that's from Isaiah 33. Now here's the, again the point. The same, the same time frame when, when they were going to Egypt entering into secret talks with Egypt to try to get help from the advancing army, Isaiah is saying God doesn't need that. He's going to put to silence all this wisdom. What happened was Sennacherib came with his army and he, he had already said to Hezekiah, listen, um, I, I'm going to defeat you. It's just a matter of time. He said to Hezekiah's people, he's deceiving you. He's telling you that God's going to rescue you. Well, what about all the other gods of all the other nations that I have defeated? Were their gods able to, to save, uh, save them from me? Your God is not going to save you from me. Now, God said through Isaiah, don't worry about it. I've got this. He won't set foot in your place. And you know what happened? He said, you don't, you don't even have to fight. God sent an angel in the night. And slaughtered 185,000 of the enemy army. And the ones that he didn't kill, 
they woke up the next day and they see all these people that are dead and they got scared and went home. That's how it happened. Now you won't find that in, in their annals of history, but you certainly find it in the scripture. God said, I don't need help. I don't need the wisdom of God. Now, he uses kind of an illustration here again in verse 20. Where is the wise? What about all that counsel? Where is the scribe? Now, in the Old Testament, in, in Isaiah 33, this is probably a reference to perhaps the scribe that would have, that would have written out the battle. You know, this is how we took the city. This is how we took the country. This is how we defeated there. And in, in Isaiah, it's actually kind of a play on words. It's, it's, it's used three times, and it's all counters. Who's the one that counts the towers? Where's he at? Who's the one that weighed out everything, all the spoils? Where are they at? Well, they didn't even record it. Because you don't want to record a defeat like that. How did you lose 185,000 men? No. They didn't say anything about it. They just went back home. All they say is, at one point, Hezekiah paid tribute to the king of, uh, you know, the king Sennacherib. And that's true. Scripture does record that. But they don't record the other part. And so, I think that it's kind of funny that here we are um, 2,000 plus years later, and God says through Paul, where's the wise? Where's the scribe? Where's the disputer? Where is their record in history of what God the Father did to this enemy? They're not there. Why? Because God turned their wisdom into foolishness. And so Paul, writing to the Corinthians who would be aware of where he's pulling that from, what Isaiah said, says to them, I don't need the wisdom of men. Just preach the cross. That's what I want. For after that in the wisdom of God, verse 21 of 1 Corinthians 1, we might say, For as much as in the wisdom of God the world by wisdom knew not God, that is, the world by their wisdom, they can't search it out and figure out and find out where God is and how to be saved. For after that in the wisdom of God the world by wisdom knew not God, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. It doesn't say and doesn't mean to say that preaching is foolish or moronic, but that is what the wisdom of man says about it. The wisdom of man says that the proclamation of the gospel of Christ, the proclamation of the Christ itself, of the cross itself, is foolishness. Well, it pleases God to save those who believe in the cross. So that's how he turned it around. The Jews require a sign. I like to, I said, listen to other preachers, and I listened to Brother Penn's message on this that he preached many years ago, and I think one of the best illustrations I've heard for the sign that the Jews seek after. I won't say it just how you said it, but uh, I'll try. It's like you go into a supermarket and you're looking for potatoes. Well, there's a sign that says potatoes. You know they're there. Well, what if you went in there and there wasn't a sign there? You picked up the potato. It was there. You looked at it. It looked just like a potato, but you put it down and you walk out and say, they don't have any potatoes. Well, there wasn't a sign. I mean, the potato was there, but there wasn't a sign. 
That's what the Jews were doing. All day long have I stretched out my arms to a disobedient and contradicting people. They wouldn't, they didn't want me. I'm right here, and they're saying, well, give us a sign. He did through the prophet Jonah. But what they're looking for, they're handling Christ, and they, they know what the cross is, and they're saying, well, where is our Messiah? They seek after a sign. They require it. They beg, please give us a sign and we'll believe. It's right there in front of them. The Greeks were philosophers. They sought after wisdom. Acts chapter 17 uh, records, um, I think it's Acts chapter 17. You can check me on that. But when, when uh, Paul came uh, to Athens and they brought him up to the Areopagus, uh, Mars Hill, and they, they, they said, you, you, you're bringing a lot of stuff here that we've never heard before. We'd like to hear some more. After he got through, some of them said, well, that, that sounds okay. Some of them said, that's foolish. Because in the philosophy of man, in the seeking of wisdom of man, they're wanting to find something that really does look powerful. And so when you look at the cross of Christ... That doesn't seem powerful at all to man. How, how is victory gained when a man hangs on a cross and dies? The Greeks seek after wisdom, the wisdom of man. Verse 23 says, But we preach Christ crucified. Unto the Jews a stumbling block. They, they just can't get past. Our Messiah's got to die. Now this is interesting. Um, now we talk about Jesus dying on the cross. And so we should. That is our salvation. But it's fascinating to me that even the apostles, saved men, followed Jesus throughout his ministry. And when he began talking about his own death, they said, no, no. That's not going to happen. It just didn't seem logical. And so Paul telling the Corinthians, this is part of the problem. You're looking at this through the wisdom of men. Now they're a church. He's writing to a church. They're dividing themselves among men, men that they love, men that no doubt love the Lord and they love them. But they're, they're causing their adoration to go to the point of, of almost glorification. You know, they're, they're, they're just putting them up there on that pedestal and saying, oh, now I'm a disciple of this person. And Paul said, that's the wisdom of men. You don't want to do that because it's the wisdom of men that stops people from being saved. Now, here's the thing. Jesus tells us, the Scripture tells us, that in order for us to become converted... We have to come to him as a child. That doesn't mean that if you're not saved when you're young, you won't be saved. But it illustrates the fact that an adult is trying to figure stuff out. Adult can be saved. Adults can be saved. But the older you get, the more you resist the wooing of the Holy Spirit. That the, the Father is trying to draw you. The Spirit is trying to draw you. The more you resist and the older you get, the more of wisdom of the world that you uh, 
get, the harder it's going to be for you to overcome that wisdom. And that's what Paul's talking about. There are those who resist it because to them it's foolishness. So we preach Christ crucified. Why wouldn't we change the message? I think that's where we are today. I really do. I think that people have good intentions. I think churches have good intentions. They see people that are not interested in the foolishness of preaching. And, and, and they want people to be saved. They want people to have a full life and productive for the Lord. And so they, they with probably the best of intentions, they use the, the tactics of the world to draw more people in. The problem is, if we're using the flesh to appeal to people, we're already fighting the wisdom of God. When we draw people in through the flesh, remember the flesh knows no boundaries. If you do it that way, you're going to have to do it a little bit more the next time because they're going to get tired of that. That's the way we are. That's the way the wisdom of the world is. We've got to be very careful that, that the, the preaching of the cross of Christ does not become void. What, what, do you, what does your church offer? What does your church offer my kids? We hear that. The Word of God. The preaching of the cross. Now, when I was a pastor, I did fun stuff. I brought our kids to this and to that, but it never was a hook. We must be careful that in our worship of God, we don't lose sight of the power of the cross. They say, well, they won't come. One time, before I ever started pastoring, somebody told me that. A pastor told me that. You'll find out when you start preaching, when you start pastoring, people won't come if you do what you're wanting to do. Well, I was 20 years old, 21 years old, and had no experience in the pulpit as far as pastoring, so I didn't say anything, but I just thought, well... Okay. Well, he was right in a way. Some people won't. But the people who are seeking the wisdom of men, that's who won't come. What did Paul say? The Jews look at this as a stumbling block. The Greeks seek after wisdom. But what did he say? So, so you know, that's, we're just going to have to change. No, he said, we preach Christ crucified. We don't change the message. Now, I know what somebody's thinking because I, I just it, the scripture came into my head. He said, "To the Jew I became a Jew; to the Greek I, I became a Greek." Yes, that is what he said. He tried to reach people where they were, but he never changed the message. When he spoke on uh, on Mars Hill, he spoke to them about the cross of Christ. When he reached, tried to reach the Jews, he said, I, "My heart's desire for them is that be, they be saved." He never changed that there was a suffering Messiah. He did everything that he could to bring the Jew to understand that your Messiah, you crucified him. He, he, to the Greek, he tried to, to meet them where they were, but he still pointed them to the cross. It is not ours to try to repackage the gospel, to make it more palatable, to make it more acceptable. It is ours, it is given to us to preach the cross of Christ, for therein is the power of God. 
we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block, unto the Greeks foolishness, but to them that are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, uh, Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. All of us who are saved, we should look at Christ as being the power of God and the wisdom of God. We're called, we're invited to be invited to a banquet is the idea there. God drew us through his wisdom. But we cannot hope to get to God if we try to bypass the cross of Christ. Why did he do that? Verse 25, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men. The foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. Now again, there is no foolishness of God, there is no weakness of God, but man looks at it that way. So when man looks at it that way, we are to conclude whatever it is that we're seeing, though it seem to appear to be moronic, foolish, lacking wisdom, weak, it is not. It's the opposite of that. And that's how... That should be a stark reminder of who we are. When we feel it is necessary to step in and help God out, that's when we're about to mess up. The Lord gave us the scripture. He gave us our marching orders. Paul told Timothy, I'm writing these things to you so that you might know how to behave in the house of God. The church, which is the pillar and the ground of the truth. I want you to know what God expects of you. It's timeless. I know we live in a modern world. We've got this, we've got that. Um, but the preaching of the cross has not changed. In 2,000 years, it has not changed. And even longer than that, the wisdom of God is still more powerful than anything man can come up with. Again, recall what he said to the church in bringing up the time of Isaiah. God didn't need Egypt. He didn't need the wisdom of men. He didn't need for them to enter into secret thoughts, uh, talks as though God wasn't listening. He didn't need any help. He didn't even at that time ask Hezekiah to go and fight against him. He said, I've got this. Just amazing to me that sometimes when we know what God has said, we still fall back sometimes on the wisdom of men. And I'm guilty. You know, sometimes I've, I've said things Boy, you know, that, that person there. I read this scripture earlier, verse 26. You see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. Ye see your calling, brethren, Corinthians, look around you. You see who God has chosen? 
Not many wise men, not many after the flesh that are mighty, not high-born, noble. Any kings here? Royalty? Well, some people are royal pains, but maybe not royalty. I see a doctor. Not many. You see your calling. We are not a church of elitists. We are a congregation of people that have submitted to the preaching of the cross of Christ. We have believed in Jesus as our Savior. That's what ties us together. That's our bond. And so Paul's hope for the church at Corinth, not that they will not have an admiration for their teachers, but that their focus might be on Jesus Christ. I have had the greatest opportunity, thrill, of learning and being taught of great men in the faith. But I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. We all are. That's what pulls us together. Would you stand please as we prepare for an invitation? Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you so much for this time that you've given us to be here today. We thank you, Lord, for the preaching of the cross. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to focus on this, to always be reminded of our own frailties, that, Lord, we would lift you up. Lord, we're so grateful for those who have gone before us, those that we have learned under, those who have imparted unto us a love of the Scripture. But, Lord, we lift you up. We honor you. We realize you alone are worthy of all of our praise, all of our glory. Lord, we thank you so much that you have called us all to be saved. We pray for those who have not yet accepted. We pray for those who may be here today and have never turned to you in repentance. We pray that this might be the day that more souls would be saved, that people would honor you, follow you in whatever decision that you have called on them to make. We ask, Lord, that you would be with our pastor as he's away, with the leaders of our country. We pray for our continued freedom to worship you. And we ask that you forgive us of our sins in Jesus' name. Amen.